Thank you very much, Paul. Um, I hope you guys are all fed and watered, um, but it's a real pleasure to be speaking in front of you. Um, and it's also great to see people speaking in not their mother tongue. It's hard enough to make a talk uh, in English, let alone something that isn't uh, your mother tongue. Anyway, so today I'm going to be talking about faster JavaScript web apps um, and basically optimizing web performance. And uh, we're going to be going pretty fast because there's a lot to cover. Um, and I'm hopefully going to leave you with a few practical tips so by the end of this, you'll have something to take home. So, speed matters. And I probably don't have to convince you guys of this. But anyway, I'll just give you some stats. Uh, every second, latency is about a 0.65% increase in pounce, bounce rate. Um, Bing actually found out that uh, two seconds uh, of latency actually decreased their revenue by 4.3%. Um, so it's really easy to actually justify uh, spending time um, on speed optimizations because it directly affects your bottom line. Um, and this is a, a quote that I love actually from Thomas. Um, speed uh, is the second biggest engagement driver on the internet just after perceived speed. And it's kind of true. Uh, if you can trick the user into believing something is fast, then it's just as good as actually being fast. And uh, here's a little UI 101. Um, these are the kind of um, timings and responses you get uh, for your web apps. So people are a little bit more forgiving on the web than on the desktop. Um, uh, so they, they, they wait a little longer, but not that much longer. So you can see 0 to 100 milliseconds, uh, people think it's instant. 100 to 300 milliseconds, sluggish. And then from then on, it just goes down the drain. So you really want to be aiming for about less than 300 or 300 to 500 milliseconds. Uh, th that's the kind of speed that you want your um, page to be served at. And um, there was actually a pretty interesting um, analysis done by this chap at Microsoft called Jadana Man. Uh, he did a travel site analysis of the top five travel sites. So this is Priceline, Kayak, Travelocity, and Orbit. And um, what was kind of interesting is all these sites essentially are meant to do the same thing, right? They take um, flights and they compare them. Uh, but uh, their actual markup is pretty um, uh, different. So you have some sites uh, pretty small to download, some sites are uh, kind of big. Uh, in fact, it changes by a factor of four. So can anyone tell me which site they think was the fastest? Five? So number five. All right. So you're right. Uh, <laughs> um, so you, you might think that uh, the least amount of uh, bytes downloaded would be the fastest, with like site four. Um, Sorry, it's like site three, or the least amount of JavaScript would be fastest. But actually, five is the fastest, uh, even though it's got more JavaScript and bytes downloaded. And you can see why here. This is kind of a breakdown of the rendering. All that purple stuff at the top is the rendering, and uh, all the gray stuff at the bottom is the network requests. And you can, you can see site five has remarkably less uh, rendering time um, and remarkably less JavaScript time. Um, and even though it has the kind of the same uh, network impact. So really, the, the point I'm trying to demonstrate here is that rendering time is uh, hugely important when it comes to uh, your initial 
page speed. Um, so this is what they call a resource waterfall. And you can kind of see um, in a bit more detail how pages are loaded. Uh, dark green is the DNS resolution. Orange uh, is the TCP handshake. Green is the HTTP request. And blue is the time taken to download a resource. Um, and you, you notice that while monocle.io, which is the site there, is being fetched, um, new HTTP requests are being dispatched. So you can really see um, that the, the, the time that um, assets are taken or like uh, downloaded really depends on uh, the structure of your page uh, because the HTML is kind of passed incrementally. Um, and you can see here uh, we've got this DNS uh, resolution and handshake that um, blue line and the orange bit. Uh, and you can see it's actually kind of a limiting factor for a lot of the requests here. Um, in other words, bandwidth is not really the limiting factor. It's actually network latency, um, the time taken between server and client. Um, and you can see further requests down the page don't actually need to do that DNS resolution because of Keepalive, they're using the same uh, TCP socket. And you can see um, various events here, DOM content loaded, start render, complete. And uh, kind of an overall, you can see about half the time is spent on network about half of it is spent rendering. So that's our two bottlenecks, basically, network and rendering. And that's what we're going to address in this talk. So network is kind of easy to optimize uh, in a way. Um, you just follow some good defaults, and you should be most of the way there. I'm going to give you 12 rules um, for network optimization. Um, but they basically all boil down to these two things. Eliminate and reduce an unnecessary network latency and minimize the amount of bytes transferred. Um, because the user only gets value when work is painted to the screen. So here are the tips. Here are the rules for network. Number one, quick response. You need to respond to the request as quickly as possible. And Google Search will actually return the head tag of the page before it's even passed the request before it's done anything, uh, it'll return that. Um, and th this means that the browser can actually go through uh, that HTML, and it knows what resources it's going to fetch subsequently. Um, don't preload data. Don't load, do loads of SQL queries in that initial index.html request. If you do need to preload data, put that in a second uh, deferred script. I'm going to cover that a bit later. Um, use Keep Alive. They're probably already using this. It's enabled by default in pretty much everything. Um, but it is important. You probably want to check it is actually enabled. Um, Keep Alive will reuse established TCP connections. Uh, because your, your three-way SYN, SYNAC, um, ACK, uh, handshake is kind of expensive, uh, especially if there's SSL uh, negotiation. So use Keep Alive. Uh, don't redirect. Now, again, you may scoff like who redirects at the top level, but actually, half of the world's top websites, about 63% of the world's top websites, have a top level redirect. Um, so I kind of advise you don't use www. Um, just have a naked domain. Don't redirect. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and you can actually save up to like 200 milliseconds there. Um, use a CDN. CDM will decrease the amount of hops um, that your uh, request from the client to the server has to go through. Um, and it will put the data or the assets as geographically close to the client as possible. 
Um, now this is especially true with static resources. You, um, if I were you, I would put all your static resources on a CDN. There's no reason not to, to be honest. Again, you got to reduce resources. Um, uh, it might seem obvious, but vast amount of uh, websites have uh, a lot. About the average is about 90 plus individual resources, uh, which is about 770k, which is a lot. And the vast amount of them are JavaScript and images. So you have to uh, focus on that when you're reducing resources. You're going to minify JavaScript and CSS. Um, actually, gzipping the response will take out a lot of the duplication in there. But, uh, but minifying JavaScript will actually rewrite your JavaScript. So you still get uh, space savings there. Um, you've got to concatenate um, resources. Again, this is going to uh, reduce the amount of TCP requests. It's going to make things a little faster because your enemy here is latency uh, and not bandwidth. Um, you got a gzip responses. And actually, this is the had the biggest effect out of all the tips here on my performance. Um, now, for some reason, this isn't turned on by default in a lot of um, servers. It's not turned on by default in Nginx and Apache, which kind of sucks. Um, but I presume for compatibility reasons. But to be honest, uh, you, you've got nothing to lose by um, turning it on. And, and I think, honestly, they should change the defaults. Um, so you should cache static assets. And what I usually do is set an expires header on every static asset for a year. So why a year? Well, the um, cache exp um, uh, pr protocol, the caching uh, spec, says that anything longer than a year is not going to be actually um, recognized. Uh, it's not going to be used. So a year is the kind of the maximum that you can use. And then what you can do is put a checksum of the um, uh, the source of um, that asset and append that checksum to the file name. So whenever the, f the asset changes, then the file name will change, and you get automatic invalidation. And I think that is the best way of doing static caching. Cache AJAX requests, again, uh, you may scoff, but only 1% of AJAX requests on the web are cached. Um, now, you may want to cache at the AJAX layer, or you may want to cache at the JavaScript layer, um, uh, slightly above it with just caching objects, up to you. Uh, but if you do cache at the AJAX layer, you can send a cache property to jQuery if you're using that, um, and that'll make sure that AJAX requests are cached. Uh, remove duplicate code. Again, another obvious one, but 58% of the web has duplicate code on it. I actually found two versions of jQuery on stripe.com. Uh, so it can happen to the best of us. <laughs> uh, you've got to minimize and compress images. About half of the bytes on most websites today are images. Uh, really avoid large images. Uh, never resize images in CSS. Uh, remember, PNGs are lossless. Often formats like JPEGs will be smaller. And you should sprite images when is necessary. Uh, your standards mode for IE. Um, now, this is a header that you can set, x-ua compatible header. Uh, if you just search for standards mode IE, Google, it'll show you how to set it. A lot of frameworks like Rails set it for you. Um, and this will make it render the HTML a bit more intelligently and actually speed up um, the request. Um, you should definitely put this in a header, in an HTTP header, not a tag in the page. Because if you put in a tag, then IE passes the page, sees the tag, figures out it's got to change its rendering mode, and just starts again. It sucks. Um, put style sheets first. Uh, so you want the browser to um, 
to issue that stylesheet network request first because it will block painting until it has a stylesheet. Um, inline styles invalidate the CPU cache using sparingly. Um, only keep the required styles for the page. Um, don't share between pages unless there's like obvious styles that's shared between all your sites. Um, stop blocking JavaScript, use defer. Um, if you can, just use defer on every single JavaScript tag you have. Uh, again, test. Uh, Paul is mentioning a bug in jQuery UI and jQuery. Um, so test in IE. Um, but uh, you should not be blocking the page. If you don't have defer on it, then it's going to really, really impact the performance of your app. Um, and delay loading unnecessary JavaScript, things like analytics, Google Analytics, mixed panel, that kind of thing. Um, if, if it's not needed for the initial page load, delay loading it. All right, so the network is fairly straightforward, um, but I want to give you a few specific tips that I found especially useful. Um, Nginx PageSpeed is a module developed by Google that will automate much of the network optimizations you should be making. It'll do some nice things. It'll do things like uh, image optimization, stripping, uh, meta tags, that kind of thing. It'll uh, minify JavaScript. It'll defer JavaScript. Um, it'll uh, minimize images, that kind of thing. Uh, if you're using Nginx, then it's a no-brainer to turn this thing on. It probably will make a huge performance impact on your app. Um, don't use large cookies. This is something that I have um, done in the past, and uh, it's really affected the performance. Uh, this, is, for example, is a, is a request to monocle.io. These are just the HTTP headers for this request. And here is the uh, cookie, right? This is basically almost double the amount of uh, the other headers there. Uh, and it's, uh, it's not compressed. Um, so don't store session data in cookies. Just store an ID in cookies and store the session data on your server somewhere in memory, memcache perhaps, that kind of thing. Because uh, this uh, cookie is going to be on every single request your site. Now, if you're clever, then you probably put your uh, assets on a CDN, and hopefully you won't have any cookies going to your CDN. But still, JavaScript. Now, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but you uh, don't want to be using your naked JavaScript tag. Um, due to previous um, uh, kind of browser behavior, whenever the browser uh, gets across a script tag, it just stops everything, loads the script tag, and then continues um, because of things like document.write. This day and age, no one should be using document.write. Um, just add defer on the script tag, it'll mean it'll uh, load um, asynchronously. So it'll, it'll block before the page load and execute before the, uh, the page load, but it won't block any other resources loading. Um, so this is key. And so if, you would, if, you, if you're preloading data, and um, uh, you, so you want this data to be available on the initial page uh, load, uh, then you're going to have to put uh, that data inside a bit of separate JavaScript. Like I say, you don't want to be doing any SQL requests um, or SQL queries on the initial page. Um, so you need to put it in the setup.js file. This is a little pattern I use. Um, so uh, you'll require this on your 
uh, index.html page. And setup.js is not actually a JavaScript. It's actually, um, this is a bit of Sinatra. It's actually um, an action in your web app. And it'll basically put, uh, do the SQL queries that it needs to do. Um, it'll populate that JavaScript. It'll return that JavaScript. The JavaScript will be executed on the client. But the key thing here is this is not on the initial page. Uh, this is not on the initial request. So this is not slowing down that initial request because uh, you want the browser to be able to say, okay, now we have all the resources. Um, we can go and fetch all the assets we need. Uh, Setup.js is one of those. Um, so Steve kind of covered this earlier, but um, there's a bunch of meta tags you can use um, to prefetch stuff. Um, and so... DNS prefetch will go and do DNS resolution. Prefetch will actually go and fetch the, the page and its assets. Pre-render will actually pre-render the page. Um, and you can actually do this programmatically. You can uh, just append it to your body like this, and uh, Chrome will go ahead and pre-render it. Um, for example, in Monocle, uh, which is like a sort of social news site, when someone is hovering over a link for more than a few seconds, I go ahead and pre-render that page. It means that whenever they click on that link, that page will be loaded in instantly. And you can actually see um, pages being preloaded inside uh, Google, uh, Google Chrome's task manager. Uh, this is basically the only way you can see if a page is actually being preloaded. Um, but it's worth noting you can only pre-render one page at a time. Um, and uh, if you try and pre-render another page, then it'll kind of it will replace this page. Um, so now we've talked a lot about network. I want to talk about rendering. And rendering is often opt unoptimized and it's often less talked about, uh, but it's basically the other bottleneck to your uh, initial page request. And you can't really talk about rendering without talking about reflows. Um, so a reflow in a web browser refers to the process where the rendering engine calculates positions and geometries of the various elements in the document. Uh, so in other words, it figures out uh, how elements should be displayed before the paint. And some browsers call this a reflow, some browsers call this a redraw. Uh, it's just, uh, just terminology. Um, and now this is an example of, uh, uh, Ge uh, of Gecko rendering the Mozilla.org homepage. It's calculating the layout and positions of all the elements. Um, so you can see all those elements being calculated. And then notice everything is being recalculated again. Um, at about uh, 16 seconds through that video, um, something happens which invalidates the layout. It means, it means it has to recalculate the whole thing. Uh, and this is the kind of thing we want to avoid. Um, this is the kind of reflow optimizations we want to be making. So what really triggers a reflow? Well, a lot of things do. Basically, interacting with the DOM does. Um, adding, removing, showing, hiding DOM elements, uh, scrolling, resizing, uh, adding classes. In fact, all these properties here trigger reflows. Um, uh, and basically, you want to um, access these properties sparingly because they're all going to be very expensive. Um, so reflows are often expensive, but you can reduce their impact. Um, and the three places where you really notice reflows is the first page load, um, animation loops, and uh, scrolling. So we really need to optimize all three use cases 
uh, make sure they're as fast as possible. So one tip for um, making uh, optimizing reflows is to change classes in the DOM tree as low as possible. Um, now this will limit the scope of the reflow to as few nodes as possible, and hopefully won't do a full document reload. Um, you want to avoid DOM thrashing. Uh, basically what this means is if you do a read from the DOM, and then you do a write to the DOM, and then you do a read from the DOM, and then the write to the DOM, uh, you're going to do multiple reflows in there uh, for no good reason. So what you can do is batch up your, um, uh, your reads and your writes. Uh, this will only cause one reflow. Another option is to actually put all your writes in a request animation frame. Um, and this is just a bit nicer for the browser because the browser can then execute that request animation frame whenever it's convenient for them, for the browser, and uh, hopefully it'll be convenient in the whole paint cycle. Uh, this is another example of inefficient code. You're appending uh, three elements uh, to this element one. Now, this is going to cause three reflows. Um, so what you really want to do is actually append all those uh, elements to a document fragment and then append that document fragment to the page. You're kind of batching up DOM changes, and that'll only cause one reflow. Um, now, the fastest thing you can do is just actually set the inner HTML uh, of an element. And you can see before and after before uh, in Chrome's Inspector, we you can see all the reflows going on are kind of expensive after we've got rid of almost all of them. Um, so if you're doing animation loops, use a request animation frame. Uh, don't use set timeout uh, or set interval. Um, the, th the thing is, the browser needs to refresh uh, or paint about 60 times um, 60 hertz. And so if you, if, if you are slowing that down, uh, then it's going to be really useful, uh, noticeable to the user. Now, when you're setting, creating a set interval loop, it, it's very difficult to, to know what is the right interval. Because uh, if it's too small, then you're going to do work that never ever gets painted to the screen. And if it's too long, uh, then your animation will be really juddery. So the obvious answer is don't use set interval. Use uh, request animation frame. Um, and you can actually just shim this in older browsers. Um, but this advice is not really limited to animation loops. If you're deferring any kind of rendering, really, use it. It's much kinder to the browser. Um, you should debounce scroll events. So scroll events have to be as fast as possible, or event handlers have to be as fast as possible. When you're listening to scroll events, uh, those things get fired a lot. Um, and so you, don't, you probably don't want to listen to every single uh, firing of that event. So what you can do is you can write this nice debounce function. Uh, this will make sure that uh, even if you call this function 1,000 times, it'll only be called once uh, until there's a pause. In this case, the default is 300 milliseconds. Um, and then in a, when you're adding a scroll uh, event listener, you can just uh, wrap it in a debounce. Um, now you want to make sh you still want to make sure your on scroll event listener is as fast as possible, and you may even want to put that any rendering it does in a request animation frame. So be careful with on before unload. Now uh, this is an, a very useful technique to basically warn the user when they're perhaps they're appending AJAX requests or the data that hasn't been saved. Um, and on before unload is an event that's fired as soon as um, 
you navigate away from the site to another page. Um, now, the thing about on before and load is if you have it set, it really messes up Chrome's caching, um, which is a, a kind of bug, but uh, there's no way to work around it at the moment. So basically, only set on before and load when you need it. Um, so you can see here we, uh, we have add handler, which sets the on before and load, and remove handler, which removes it. Um, and then you can see it in a greater context uh, with jQuery. Uh, you can see we're using the global event handlers whenever there's an AJAX request, and we're adding the handler, and then when that request is finished, we're removing it. Uh, so that basically means that the default state of on before unload is null, uh, which is what we want for caching reasons. Um, essentially, do less on the client. Do less before DOM ready is fired. Don't resize images in CSS. Uh, avoid complex CSS selectors, inline styles, batch up DOM communication. Take elements under flow, so position them absolute instead of having them in the reflow flow. Um, solving a performance problem is kind of like solving a crime. So first you have to collect evidence, and then you have to interrogate suspects. And lastly, you need to uh, collect some forensics. And uh, so let's solve a performance problem. Let's look for some evidence. And our crime scene is this app. Uh, this is an app I've been building to help source engineers. And notice we have a uh, infinite table down the right-hand side. Now, this thing will just carry on loading. There's about one million engineers in the database. Uh, so clearly, you can't display them all client-side. Um, so they're, they're basically loaded in as needed uh, when you scroll down this table. Um, now, let's open Chrome's timeline and have a look, see if we've got any performance uh, problems. So we're going to use the timeline feature in the inspector. Uh, you can see we're going to select the frame um, option, and then we're going to hit record uh, right at the bottom. And then we're going to play around with the app, and then we're going to hit uh, stop. And then we can see uh, what the result of it. And Chrome will render this pretty nice table here. Uh, so you can see exactly the frame rate of your app and all the things it's doing, all the basically performance problems you have. And you can see already that we've got some big performance problems here. Uh, almost no frames here are being rendered under 60 uh, hertz, um, which kind of sucks. And you can see a lot of purple up there. Purple is bad. We don't want to see purple. That's rendering time. Um, and you can see we've got a specific problem up here um, with uh, basically when uh, we're scrolling down and new records are being loaded in. So this is a, a really big problem. We probably want to try and solve that. Um, so what we can do is uh, hover over that specific render, see what caused it. Um, and you can see here, uh, it was actually caused by um, adding a jQuery class, and then which was added by the show loading function. Um, and that actually triggered a whole document reflow, which is really expensive. Um, now, it turns out that actually uh, I had been kind of lazy when it comes to loading indicators, and I'd just been adding a class of loading onto the table and removing that class when loading was finished. And you can kind of see it here. Uh, it's, it's a little faint, the loading indicator. But basically, it turns out that it's a bad idea to add classes for loading indicators because it's causing a whole document reflow. Uh, so we could probably be a bit more clever about that. Um, now, when you're detecting a memory leak in uh, Chrome, the first place to really go is the memory 
uh, tab in the inspector. And the profile of a normal application should look more like a sawtooth, right? So memory is allocated, and then the garbage collector kicks in and deallocates in. So you can see that uh, little hump there is uh, where the garbage collector um, actually kicks in. Now, that will be a normal application. This is my application. Uh, all right, so you can see we've got a problem here. Um, this, uh, um, the memory is just going up and up and up and up and up. Um, now you can see the garbage collector is kicking in, uh, but actually uh, it's, it's not having much of an effect. Memory is still going up. And there's kind of a clue here to why. You can see the, this line here is all the DOM nodes. Um, and that's just get, that is just going up and up, which is adding more and more DOM nodes to the page. Now this uh, memory graph doesn't actually include DOM nodes. DOM nodes are native memory, but uh, they're, they're kind of linked. So uh, there are objects, the reference that DOM those DOM nodes, and so you can see we've kind of the main problem here is that we're just adding too many DOM nodes to the page. So it looks like we need to do a bit of manual garbage collection. So when the user is scrolling that big table, we need to actually delete some of those DOM nodes that are outside the viewport um, and try and get our memory management under control. The next tool in our arsenal is Chrome's Profiler. Um, and uh, you can basically collect uh, some JavaScript CPU, prof CPU profiles. Uh, same kind of technique as before. You click Start, you play around with your app, uh, just perhaps just perform a specific action, and then click Stop, uh, and then you can look at all the data. Um, and uh, it'll show you which operations are taking the longest. Um, and the sort order is bottom up, so basically, uh, listing functions by impact on performance. And you can also see timings by percentage, uh, which is useful for exposing bottlenecks. Uh, and here you can see this little exclamation mark, and this means the code has been unoptimized. So the V8 compiler has two modes. It has optimized mode and full mode. And it tries to render everything in optimized modes if it, if it can. Sometimes it falls back to full mode. Um, and this can happen for a variety of reasons, but in this case, it's because jQuery extend has a try-catch in it. Um, and if it sees a try-catch, then it just falls back to full mode immediately. Um, now, if you hover over that little exclamation mark, it'll tell you uh, what's wrong, what caused the V8 compiler to drop out of optimized mode. Uh, you can also drill down into events, see what caused them. Uh, in this case, the um, the, the bit of JavaScript that's taken the longest is um, this WebKit um, uh, scroll view into uh, scroll view if needed a function. Um, now, it's kind of uh, it's, it, there's not much we can do about this. Basically, it's kind of expected that any communication with the DOM um, is going to take a long time. Um, heap snapshots your next tool. You can take one snapshot and then you can manipulate your app and then take another snapshot. Um, and you can see we have two snapshots down the left-hand side here. Um, and then what we're doing is uh, we're comparing them. So, so uh, you can see there's a little option down here. We can select comparison. We can select which snapshot we want to compare it to. And then it's going to show you this interesting delta. So it'll show you the object allocated objects deallocated in this delta. This delta is kind of useful if we want to figure out maybe this is causing a memory leak. If we have 
a positive delta the whole time, uh, then that means that objects are being allocated and they're not being deallocated properly. So to help performance crimes, performance crimes, you have to lay down the law. You have to continually record performance and you have to notify um, yourself when something bad happens. And Google had this incredible service called PageSpeed Insights. Um, it'll tell you a lot about the performance of your app, especially the networking aspect of it. Um, so you can find it online here, or you just Google PageSpeed Insights. Um, and, it, and, and it looks a bit like this. You just enter a URL in here, and it'll go off, and it's got about 100 different rules, and it'll go off and um, apply your site, see if your site uh, passes any of these rules. And it'll give you some tips on uh, optimizations you should be making. What's kind of interesting is that they actually have an API. Um, it's got PageSpeed Insights API, and they give you like a ridiculous 2,500, uh, 25,000 even, requests a day. Um, so basically a free API to this um, PageSpeed Insight. Um, now what we can do is we can use this API for continuous integration. This is a little bit of Ruby that I've written, but basically this is a, it's a client to that API, and whenever you run this script, it's going to uh, hit that API, and the API is going to analyze your site, come back with a bunch of stats, uh, some of which, well, one of which includes the page score, and then we're writing that to a CSV file. And so what I've done is I've actually tied this in with a post-deploy hook, so it records data after every single deploy, and then I can get a really good head heads up and identify um, deploys that really significantly impact performance um, pre pretty easily by just going through this CSV file. Um, it'd be kind of awesome, actually, if this was a service, a monitoring service. Um, maybe if any of you guys want to start a startup out there, that might be a good idea. Um, so in conclusion, um, have a budget and stick to it. 300 to 500 milliseconds is a good place to start. Um, Keep performance in mind. So it's easy to, to deal with the network stuff at the start, but remember not to forget to optimize rendering. Uh, remember, speed matters. Thank you very much. Come on. That was great. Thanks very much. <coughs> um, one question uh, that uh, I saw some people asking about um, of deferring loading data. Um, using that as a technique, um, does that conflict with uh, search engine optimization? Basically, I, I think this has come up with Monocle before, which mm -hmm. is like, if we, if we don't have the, the data there in the markup, is that a challenge with getting it placed in Google? Yeah, so this is definitely an issue that you need to be aware of. Um, Monocle.io, if you want to check it out, is actually all rendered client-side. There's no HTML shipped to the browser. Um, but it turns out you can actually fix this really simply. Um, you can fix this in about 10 minutes. Google have this Ajax crawling spec, um, and there's a little tag you can put in the page that tells the Google bot uh, that you support the spec, and then the Google bot will request your website, and they'll um, append a little query parameter onto your website. So you can detect that and basically serve up a bot-optimized version of the page. Um, and if you have a look at the Google rankings of monocle.io, uh, you'll see that it's properly indexed. Um, there's no problem with actually indexing JavaScript apps.
Um, where, so you've done kind of a, a bit of work on performance for both um, monocle and for sourcing. Where do you think that you got like the most impact of kind of of the improvements that you landed? Um, well, embarrassingly, it was probably GZIP actually. <laughs> uh, you know, GZIP's uh, not turned on by default on a lot of um, servers, and I was using Heroku. Um, and I kind of left that optimization to the end, and you should just really include it by default. That actually reduced page load time significantly. Mm. Um, the, you showed uh, a bit of uh, the developer tools in Chrome, um, and I happen to work on them, so that's, that's okay, I guess. But um, there is a question of like, um, what is, what, are these, what is the story, what does the cross-browser story look like? So are there other tools on, um, available for other browsers for some of these things? I, I, I believe IE has a set of tools. I've never actually used them, though. Um, presumably, if you optimize for V8, um, you're going to be optimizing for a lot of JavaScript engines. Um, but to be honest, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, we might. We might get into this when, when, when Paul talks, too, but um, Perfect. Uh, we will? Okay, we will. Um, it's a good topic, uh, and so I think we'll, we'll hit it. Um, w one of the things, um, what is your preferred technique for optimizing page load when it comes to dealing with images? Um, basically making sure they're as small as possible, compress them, resize them to the actual size there on the page. Um, that's the kind of uh, bog standard things. Um, progressive JPEG? Yes, uh, progressive JPEG. Um, you, you just have to get your, uh, is a, a server-supported thing. You have to make sure your server supports it, right? Uh, no, with progressive, okay. no. Um, it's fine if, as far as the, the serving aspect, but um, yeah. We'll have a perceived user benefit. At yeah, comes the idea. Um, cool. And um, what is? Have you done something? So you used you showed the PageSpeed Insights API. Um, have you built anything? I'm basically curious around like. Have you took taken a look at over the lifetime of one of your projects? Kind of tracked the performance over like, you know, weeks and months, and being, being able to kind of see perhaps like you regress performance somewhere? So actually, I've just added that. So unfortunately, no, I don't have that data. Okay. But it would be kind of a cool web service. I was thinking of just putting together a little Heroku app that you could ping whenever you deploy, and it would show you a graph over time, uh, because it's definitely something you want to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, cool. Well, thank you very so much, much, Alex. Thanks.